Welcome to the battle that we've been building towards since episode 1. It's a long one. I'm not going to break it into multiple episodes, so this is probably going to be the longest episode to date. Apologies to that, it's one week late. As I mentioned in social media, I had a 1.2 centimeter kidney stone, the last of my six stones I've had since 2014, and I destroyed it. I've recovered slower than I would have liked, and I took a week off. I thought I'd be in a better place by now, but nonetheless, I'm getting back to business. I'm not going to clarify any background information, so let's just jump right in. Previously, on Godesee. Everything has been leading to this. On the hills of Sligo, where the hordes of the Fomorians meet, the forces of the Tuatha Dé Danann, and the battle that will decide the fate of Ireland. If Lu and his kin fail, Ireland will be reduced to black ash for all eternity. The odds are against them, but with magic weapons and a dedicated battle plan, Lu was prepared to win. Until King Nawada and Queen Bridget placed him under a gish, a magical spell preventing him from joining the battle. The destiny of Ireland is at hand. Welcome to Godesey, Episode 25, Moitura. The Fomorian camp stood at the top of the hill, jutting rocks bountiful here. Banners made of leather rose high, many marked with different symbols, boars, fish, stags, and the sea itself, but in as stark as the large evil eye, colored in both chalk white and blood red. Despite this, Lou did not see Balor of the evil eye. He saw very little, in fact. That did not mean he did not hear the Fomorians. They had decided to make a camp where they could hear their hordes, the clamor of an army on the move. Where did they move to and where from? The host of the Tawatha Didanan could not be sure. Lou was not speaking to the king nor to Bridget, though he rode with the queen. Joining them were nine warriors, nine strong warriors all young, who encircled Lou. Lou knew none of them, though Medir had been the one to select them. Proud Medir, the finest young warrior of the children of Danu, was at the front with Nawada and the Morrigan. You there, warrior in white, Lou said to one of the nine that had surrounded him. What's your name? His skin was dark and his hair as light as healthy sheaths of wheat, with a strong jaw and hollow cheeks. His eyes were distant dark things. I am the druid Meltna Morbithak, of the land between the Burin and Moher. Well met, Lou of the Long Arm. Well met, Maltna. How trained are you in the ways of war? Maltna seemed suddenly self-conscious, adjusting his feet in the stirrups to change his seating. I am as well trained as Medir could make me. Before I was trained as a warrior, I was a druid and worked in the trenches near Moher when we were under the Fomorian's yoke. Which was to say, Lou realized, he was not a warrior in any form. And tell me, if you were in the king's place, would you remove the best chance to devastate the enemy ranks and ensure victory just because you were scared that chance might perish for the sake of everyone's freedom? The words were not aimed at Mom, in truth. They were not even aimed at Nuada, who could not be here to hear the grievance. They were aimed at Bridget, who sat stoically in her own saddle beside him, red hair flaming and sword arm ready, holding the hilt of her blade. It is for the best, nephew Lou. She said, as much with grace as annoyance, Lou could tell. It is for the best to prevent me from engaging in battle until Nawada and Indek are both dead. It is best to keep you alive. Nawada will launch the spear. Agma will kill Indek. And when Nawada faces Balor, as he will, you know how it will end. So Nawada will run headlong into death. Why is he not concerned with surviving? 
Because, Lou, the time for Nawada and Dagda leading our people is over. My time as queen is coming to an end. But you? You are the fresh face of our people. You have broken us from bondage. If you survive this, you are the only one who can stand before the zone of fall at Tara and hear it sing. Order must be maintained, and you are the Oathkeeper, Longarm. Your goal is the betterment of our people in all things, is it not? Or are we merely the Fearbulk, mere placeholders before the next group takes Ireland? Lou looked past Bridget to the crowd of warriors, 6,000 strong, and saw Sring leading the Fearbulk remnants. Sring, older and wiser still, looked to him and nodded. Lou did not return the glance. Let me at my grandfather, and Nawada could train me at statecraft, at leading. Bridget sighed. You are as stubborn as your father with half the graces, boy. Be glad Nawada is saving you at all. The fog surrounded them and began to move. The voices came closer, but from what direction Lou could not tell. Then he saw it. At their front, the creeping monstrous forms of the deformed ranks of the Fomorians. And on their left and their right, and behind them. As the fog faded, Lou realized they had been surrounded. To arms! Children of Danu, to arms! Though there were 6,000, there was no doubt just how momentous the Fomorian forces were. Already he could see, with his quick mind counting, 10,000 strong, and behind them, in the fog, beating their drums and blowing their horns and leading the chants, he could tell that there were tens of thousands more, and more, a seemingly endless horde on the side of this hill, ready to tear into the ranks of the Tuatha Dé Danann. Lu cried out, moving forward, his nine guards remained around him. Sorcerers, witches, begin your incantations. Recall your valor and your words. We are less in number, but more in spirit. Stand, sons and daughters of Ireland, and feel your worth. The druid criers repeated his words, and the spellwork began. The Fomorian ranks moved forward, and Lou noticed that the lords of the Tuathi de Danan moved back, letting the commoners of their kin stand and fight. Just as they promised, the spells of the witches and sorcerers worked. Each time a spear or blade was brought down on a child of Danu's shield or blade, it broke, blunted, or was useless. The valor of each fighter was as ten souls trapped in one body, a slice killing no less than four or five Fomorian monsters. Slowly, the monsters began to fill away, and the strong warriors of the Fomorian, sea raiders from Alba and the Northern Islands, joined the fray. As this raged, the fog went away and Lou got a better look at the field of battle, now littered with bodies. They maintained a solid position on the side of the hill, strategically surrounded by a ring of rocks and craggy cliffsides over a wide gray field, once covered in frost but turned to dirt with the march of the Fomorian menace. The trek was wide, going in all the way to the sea, a distant sight in the mists coming off the waters. His study of the field was broken by the first volley of arrows from the Fomorians and the slinging of the catapults and war machines of the druids. It was the first arrows, poorly aimed due to a lack of strength from the sorcerer's magic, that drew the first casualty among the children of Dawn. He was a younger lad, a few years younger than Lou even, and took the arrow in the throat. Falling to the ground, his shieldmates covered him and pulled him from the front, taking him to the gathered healers. But already Lou could see the Well of Slan doing its work. Even at a distance, the magic was working. The youth screamed in pain when he should be drowning in his own blood. The Well of Slan would keep them alive. It would keep them fighting. 
and if they were lucky, they would heal from their wounds that could not normally be healed. The fighting continued for a few hours, the mountains of Amorian dead far outweighing the near dozen Tuatha Di Danann injuries. No injury was so grave as to render the enchanted souls dead, though the wounds were horrible to look at. Barred from battle, Lou and Bridget joined the healers and druids, where they saw mashed hands, necks, and chests wounds that revealed internal workings of mortal anatomy, guts that hung from open wounds. With the magic of the Well of Slon, these were not mortal injuries. Not yet, anyway. Healers stitched. They gave incantations. They performed the rituals, and they made bombs. And as darkness of the year's end settled upon them, the Fomorian menace retreated, disheartened. They had stood their ground. The day had been theirs, but the Tuatha Di Danann were utterly surrounded. The second day was no different, but with blunted weapons and sap strength of the Fomorians failing and the might of the Tuatha Di Danann and Fearbulk spears and shields, mountains of dead Fomorians were becoming strategic fortifications used by both sides to try and outwit the other. For Lu's part, the Fomorian commanders seemed not to know what to do, for though they had no care for their own dead, they seemed unwilling to abuse them for their own success, only occasionally toppling walls of dead to break into unsuspecting child of Danu ranks. It was for this reason that the nobles of the Tuatha Di Danann finally joined the battle, Madir and Angus leading several charges to cover the flanks exposed by these breaks. As night fell on the second day, Lou was angry as he had ever been, but flabbergasted even worse still, the Fomorian leaders had not come to offer any terms. Had the Dagda made them that angry? Did they fight to the last soul standing for what he had done in his time among them? Bridget and Lou and their nine guards were collecting supper when the messenger arrived, as much for Bridget as for Lou. It was one of Madeir's heralds from the front. He's come, she said, out of breath. Who? they said in unison. Ruidin. He's broken through the Fomorian line. Lou could scarcely keep up with Bridget as she charged, weaponless, armorless, past the Dagda, past Nuwana, past everyone trying to stop her. The Herald had been right. There, at the gates crafted from the dead Fomorians, Medir held Ruidin by the scuff of his tunic's neck. He let go from the force of Bridget hugging her son, lifting him and crying into his shoulder. For his part, Ruidin cried too. Nuwana and Ogma joined Lou in staring. For though the two had not spoken, Lou and Nawada shared a glance that said the same thing. Treachery. Neither one trusted the boy, for both knew the boy's discontent with them. The Dagda, trouncing up, walked to his daughter and grandson and lifted them both, hugging them. Nearby, Angus regarded his family with coy disinterest. How? How did you break free, son? Bridget said, once free of the tears. After I went with Papa, they took me and they held me and they beat me. They trained me to be a warrior, but taught me to hate, to hate and hate everything. Grandfather, Elatha that is, he is the cruelest of them all. He spat on Father, insulted him, called him a cowardly dog for being unable to defend his throne, and now threatening all of their people. He was cruel, Mother. So I decided, then and there, weeks ago, I would break free and come here as soon as I was able. And look, he said producing a cloth, unwrapping it, and revealing its contents. Grandfather's ear! I cut it off when I got away. Behind the gates, there was yelling and horns. The Fomorians were unhappy at something. 
Lu Nuwad and Agma rushed past the reunion to the trench of dead bodies to see the torches being held not far away, and there, at the front of it, Ilatha, his eyes wide, his left ear missing and bleeding. Give me the boy, son of Kian. Give me the boy or we will march all night and day until your corpses litter the land and we drown your children. Give me the doll called Ruidin that I may cut his throat. Lu knew then and there his choice. You can have him when Manan and MacLear can walk the earth two days a year, Fomorian. Keep your own son. We have no interest in him, but Ruidin is ours. Horns belted from behind the Fomorian lines, and the seemingly millions of tiny lights behind Ilatha revealed the multitude of forces in all directions, stretching all the way to the sea. Lou felt his stomach bottom out, and his hand went for Fragarak at his side. The hound Felinus bayed in response. Nawada spoke at last. Back, Lou. Do not let him draw you out. Remember the gish placed upon you. You are not to battle until two crowns fall. And somehow you expect me to be sympathetic to your keeping me from fight I've trained for all my life. Lou left the gory ramparts and stepped away, back to his family. He took his Aunt Bridget by the arm. We need to get him somewhere safe. Most will not trust him. Where is Ruidin safest in all the camp? Bridget thought for a moment, then looked to her father. He nodded. Take us to Gavita. The smith of the Tawathididanan had built a smithy from the portable forges in the center of the camp, replacing what would normally be the tent of the king and his court. Nawada had decided not to make one, instead forming a war table open to all and covered from the elements. Gavita had been true to his word. He had made new weapons almost constantly, the quality never dropping, more powerful than any the Fomorians could manifest. He was wild-eyed and exhausted, but as soon as he saw Ruidin, he stopped, smiling. Come to learn more of my trade, nephew? I fear you lost to the Fomorians forever. You found your sense. He took a hammer off the pole at the center of the tent. Come and help me with this one. Ruidin did as he was bade, smiling. Letting them sit, Lou took Bridget aside, her face brighter than the sun. Aunt, you trust me and I trust you, but listen to me. He is a plan, you think. Lou, imagine for a moment that you had your heart's desire. That you actually were able to meet with Kian. That Ethanyu had somehow broken out of the tower before sanity and starvation finished her off. Imagine how happy you might be instead of your single-minded march towards and against fate. Imagine you had something to live for. Can you see it? Can you feel that in your heart? Lou said nothing. That is what I feel. I know my son is all right. By rights, he should be enchained with a bag on his head. But he is here, doing what is right. He can be useful, even if he is a prisoner. And who better a jailer than Gavita? Trusting Gavita? Lou retorted against his better interest. Gavita who drinks too much, and works too much, and is obsessive over perfection, but always is there for his family, who have a weakness for your son like he had for me. Lou was emphatically pointing at Gavita and Ruidin following the gesture to its natural conclusion. His eyes followed, and there he found horror. Gavita was on his side in the tent, hidden from the other smiths. A river of blood flowed from the wound in his chest, his face a grimace. Ruidin was gone. No! Lou charged to his uncle's side, carefully to lift him. Bridget joined them for a moment before standing and chasing after her son. Ruidin! 
Ruidin, what have you done? Lou lifted Gavita, resting him on his legs. His uncle was heavy, but no heavier than he had been when Lou was a boy, carrying his drunken uncle to their home in the Fearbolg camp at Tara. Gavita's meaty hand found his face, covered in blood. It revealed the wound in his chest near his heart. Boy, he said, mustering what last he could in the speech. His face was turning red. The wound was fatal in every sense. The magic of Slan was working, but something was not right with it. Uncle, no, no. Don't move. You can't. Don't try to stand. I knew it from the moment I saw him. That it wasn't right. The boy was broken. Fomorians broke him. I tried to wrestle him, but he was quick. Assassin sent to end me. They think it's the weapons. They don't know. They don't know, Lou. Bring me a spear. Lou did as he has always done, and obeyed his uncle. If he gets out, they'll know. They'll know where you are. We can't... Uncle, what are you doing? Uncle Gavita, don't! What strength the smith of the Tuatha Dé Danann had was spent in throwing that spear. Through the tent's open flap, the spear sailed. Past Bridget, it sailed. Past Nuwada and the Dagda, who conversed. Past Medir and Angus, running to stop the fleeing Ruidin. Straight into the boy's back. The scream pierced the night as Bridget charged past her father's grasping hands, trying to stop her. He did, but the moment his fingers touched her, he drew back, hissing as his fingers burned. No one else tried to stop her. Lou watched as his uncle slumped to the ground before him, flipping over. Go. Go to our aunt, boy. I'll be. The panic in Lou's heart was uncertain of what to do. Should he stay with the man who was clearly dying? or console his aunt at the loss of her son. The lights were already leaving Gavita's eyes. Lou made his choice. Leaning down, he brought Gavita's head into his lap, not bothering to hide the tears that fell from his own eyes. The Well of Slan was a magical wonder, but it had its limits. Lou could not see inside Gavita's body to know what had been destroyed, but Lou knew the magic could not save him. Gavita would die, here and now. The man who had raised him, the man who had taught him the power of a hammer and the art of making. The finest craftsman who had ever lived, the lovable oaf, everyone's little brother who rivaled his grandfather the Dagda in poor dress. Lou pushed his hair out of his face as blood continued to drench his legs. He tried to say something, but Gavita could not form the words. When his wordless mouth stopped moving at last, Lou knew his uncle was gone. His father and now his uncle, his first foster parent, the man truly responsible for his raising. He picked up his massive head and held it in his chest, shaking in rage and sorrow. Beyond, there were screams, as lines formed preparing for battle. The Fomorians were coming. Angus and Medir were trying to muster the forces that could not come quickly enough, but there was something else, too. A voice, singing the words just beyond audible but full of sadness the likes of which Lou had never heard before. It reminded him of the first time he met the Morrigan when she screamed and turned the Fomorian youth to red mist. Bridget. The voice was Bridget. Lou looked up, spotting his aunt just beyond the forming 
Tuathedidan online. She cradled her son, limp in her arms, her hair dancing like fire. Words came to him, reminding him of what Anya and Mananin had told him about Bridget, that when she found her sorrow, when she sang, she would finally be ready to join the sovereign queens of Ireland. Before her, the whole horde of the Fomorians crawled over one another, charging in the darkness, the light of Bridget and the camp illuminating both humanoid and monstrous forms. Like spiders they crawled, the wild men they charged, spears and axes and swords of bronze raised. The light flashed first, and Lou did not look away. The fire spread from Bridget, going both left and right, then exploded outward like a wave, a moving wall of heat and death that incinerated every dead Fomorian body that made the gate and ramparts of the camp, vaporizing every charging Fomorian and scorching the earth. It went for sixty feet beyond her, before stopping, ashes of the dead falling like snow upon the land. Screams on the other side indicated that not all Fomorians charging had died. Among them, Lou heard Ilatha screaming for everyone to stop and to flee, running for their lives. Lou's eyes watered, not from tears but from the intensity of the fire on his face. Before him, the Dagda, Nuwada, and all the others turned their faces, most running back to the main camp. Only the Dagda remained. Lou released his uncle's head and stood, walking slowly past the retreating children of Danu to join the Dagda, and soon the three faces of the Morrigan, all crying for their fellow sovereign queen. It was Maka who spoke, the eldest form. This art they shall call keening, the art of mourning our dead. Mothers shall sing for their children, daughters for their parents. Songs mark our passing. The fires did not go out all night, and though a cold wind from the sea blew the ashen body of Ruid into the wind, Bridget did not stop crying, and the wall of flame did not stop burning until the first light of morn. No one dared touch Bridget nor approach her. A sovereign queen had been born. The lions had been formed once more, now that the rampart of dead bodies was burned away. The first light was not the resumption of battle, and above them all a cloud had swelled and turned black, coming in from the sea. Lightning struck the waves, yet the rain had not yet begun to fall on the land. Bridget sat in the saddle beside him, while Lou sat atop a horse that was not in bar. The druid Maltna had been quite accommodating despite the commands of his king, and was doing his job well elsewhere. Surrounding the two were the eight other guards. Nuwada approached, and they parted for him. I will throw the spear, Lu. The magic word is Ibar. Is that right? I could show you if you like, Lu responded with a coy grin. Not until two crowns fall, Lu, said Bridget, staring forward. Her eyes were still afire, with the deep circles beneath them. Her tunic and armor were stained black with the ashes that had been Ruidin. Lou felt both Sling and Fragarak at his side, and was reassured by them, but not as much as if the Spear of Assal was in his hands. It looked wrong in Nuwada's silver hand. Thunder rolled above. You will understand one day, Lou. Not today, but one day. And you will have your day on the field of battle. One day? Nuwada smiled. One day. But I have come with advice, mostly. You are destined to kill your grandfather, who has not yet presented himself in battle, just as you have not. When he does, time will be of the essence. 
Do you know of his evil eye, Lou? Seven are the eye patches he wears. So heavy, monstrous servants must work together to remove them. The eye is so strong that each eye patch is only strong enough to keep one plague from that eye. Ruin, poison, fire, and destruction become more clear with each layer removed. You must kill him before the last is removed. Lu looked at the spear of Asal in Nuada's hand. And how will I do that without the spear? Nuada shook his head. Destiny is a strange thing, Lu. I suspect I will no longer be there to answer that question, but... I lost hope when they put me in that hole. When Sring removed my hand, I lost all reason to live. I had already lost Bruna Boyne to the Dagda. I am Elkmir, yes, Lu. But that is one of my names. I have no true children to call my own. But all your life, from the time Balor came to my hall seeking recompense for Kian siring his doom, I have watched you and known that you were the future of us all. I know losing Kavita is a blow to you feel deep in you. You may never recover. The Dagda tells us that death is never the end for us. I do not know what he means. I lack the wisdom in matters of the soul. But I am a master of the real. And really, truly, you are the future of our people, with Bridget as your side in whatever capacity she sees fit. She said nothing beside them. A horn blew from the front, a gap between the two faces of the Morrigan. Nemain and Bav were waited, as did Net and Medir. The Dagda too, and Ogma prepared for the charge. The Fomorians formed, and there was a drum. Not a drum, they realized, but footsteps. Balor was coming. Remember your gish, Lou. And remember that no matter what becomes of us, of me, you must keep your head strong. He spurred his horse and turned. Lou looked to Felinus at his side, the dog whimpering. Bridget looked to him, too, and the trail of tears upon her face made her sterner, older than she had ever appeared, but still full of fire. I know what you are planning. Do it. Remember your gish. What you are forbidden from doing and know your limits. I will distract your guards. She placed a hand upon the neck of the horse she rode upon. I call upon the spirits of the land, my kin, to be with this horse. Make it as myself and free from the fire that burns within me. Let my sorrow harm him not. Let my wrath not befall him, for he is innocent in this. Her hand glowed for a moment and the horse's hair began to move as Bridget's own, as flickering fire. Guards, to me, we ride for Brez Mechalothan that I may have his head. With a scream, she charged, and they joined her. Lou remained behind, letting them pass. They dare not disobey a sovereign queen. Another horn and the Tawathi Didanan made the charge. Rain began to fall, and Lou turned back to the camp, making for the druids' tents. It was there that he found them, working beside the sorcerers as they cast spells of enfeeblement and power, and found Meltna strapping Inbar to the chariot. A series of javelins, the last made by Gavita, were there too. Lou climbed into the chariot and checked it, the rain coming down like a torrent now. The storm had come. Is your aim true, druid Meltna? It is, Lou of the Long Arm. Show me. Meltna climbed into the back, and Lou spurred Inbar on. Joining them were thirteen chariots, led by Sring of the Fearbulk, riding beside Lou for the last desperate charge for Ireland's soul. 
The forces of Nawada met the wave of the Fomorians like a wall, using shields and spears to spur them back. They held as best they could, and around the camp, Loon noticed minor light skirmishes, but that the majority of forces were coming from the north, from the top of the hill. They were meticulously planned now, and from the distance came the beating of boots against the earth, boots too large for stone and rock to survive contact with. Lou led the charioteers around the main line of combat, and approaching a side flank of Fomorians, gave the command. Create a clear fault line for our warriors to pass through. Ogma must get to Indek, and the Morrigan to the sorcerers and witches of our foes. Clear a path. Spare only the dead your, your wrath. A cry rose among them, and the spear throwers and archers among the chariots reared back, Meltna among them. Lou let Sring go first, his driver pushing forward as the Fearbolg, driven by a blood rage generations old, sought to destroy their most hated foe, but the Fomorians had prevented them from taking the whole of Ireland. Sring lunged back and threw the first spear, passing through two full Fomorians before catching a third in the eye and sending him sprawling. More spears flew, arrows went high, and soon bodies began to fall like flies, no matter how far from the front line. Each chariot had a small bronze spike on the side of the wooden wheels, which soon began making quick work of the Fomorians like a meat grinder. Lou considered. It did not technically break his oath. The gish remained. Looking back, he eyed Felinus, the silver hound, following after him. Hound of Mechlir, find and aid Ogma. Felinus, I give you permission. Kill. The dog obeyed, biting off the head of a Fomorian warrior that just avoided Lou's wheel blade. Soon the silver hound was lost behind him, bathed black in blood and gore. Lou watched the battle as he turned hard, making a hard pass closer to the front lines. He spotted Madeira in the heat of battle, rending hand from arm, hacking through collarbone into the hearts of his foes, smashing noses into brains with his shield. He was a vision of war, and not far from him was Net, the old god of war, a black blur of death against his own descendants. No longer was he old, but a vision of black that hacked and decapitated with precision and speed. None stood before him. Bridget and her guards, too, charged through the Fomorian lines. The queen of the Tawathi Dunanan now fully on fire. Everything she touched with her sword caught fire. Everything near her did the same, and soon the fire spread from Fomorian to Fomorian like an unkept field in the heat of summer. The eight warriors behind her struggled to keep up, slowly making their way after her and killing off the stragglers left in her wake. Another pass, the line became clear. Bav made quick work through it alone. War crow that she was, she was a fury of feathers and death with her spear, her goal unclear until Lu saw her at last. The witch of Indek, the sorceress of the Fomorians who gave him prophecy. The woman had placed metal claws upon her fingers and waited for Bav. Soon the two were a flurry of blows, and Bav led the battle with a fence, and the witch provided a near-perfect defense. Still, she lost ground, and it was only a matter of time. Bav was coming for her heart. Horns sounded behind Lu from the Tawathi Dudanan front. A cry broke out among the charioteers. Balor! Around the hill, a lump head of the giant appeared. His single eye was covered in a series of leather eye patches, dark figures sitting on his shoulders, throwing rocks and making lewd gestures towards the combat below. Balor carried with him only a giant sword, more than half the size of the Dagda's entire body. Curved and made for chopping, Balor grinned a toothy grin, his clawed hands ready. 
Where is my grandson? Where is the son of Kian, born of my defiled daughter? Lu turned to the other charioteers still with him, and to Meltman. I have orders not to get involved. Ride to him and aim for the Fomorians on Balor's shoulders. He cannot be allowed to remove his eye patches, or we all die here. They went off alone and went after Balor. Lu spotted Nuwadadin, riding with Nemain, net in hot pursuit, heading towards Balor too. Nuwada held the spear with confidence in a warrior's know-how, but still Lu worried. Why was it not decimating the Fomorian ranks? Beyond him, Ogma had separated and was followed by the bloody ball of fur that Lu assumed was Felinus. At the top of the hill, Ogma charged up, using his club to beat back any opponent that dared step in his way. Was a tall man, dressed in furs and a quilt-like sash on his chest, his temples wearing a torque like a crown, a misuse of it given the lack of know-how among the Fomorians. Still, Lu knew that he, the cleanest, most noble-looking soul among the Fomorians, must be their king. This was Indek, and he knew Ogma was coming. Just as the witch had known Bav was coming, her path was clear. So was Nawada and Nemain and Nets. Prophecy, Lu said, realizing too late. This was a trap. Not far from him, he spied the Dagda and his club, swinging Fomorians off of him like flies. But still there were too many, biting into his legs, driving spears and swords into his flank. His belly was hard to hold onto, but not hard to pierce. And in time, the Dagda fell, Ilatha and Brez there upon him. No! Lu said, turning his chariot hard, not realizing how close he was to a rock, and the axle of the chariot broke beneath them. The chariot flung Lu, Meltna staying firm within it. It landed plainly, while Lu rolled after it, Fomorians all around him. The world spun, but he realized he was looking right at Balor, grinning like a hungry child below a feast as Nuwada approached. Silverhand, we meet again, and you bring the goddess of war and my grandfather. How quaint. So many here to die. Reaching to his belt, he removed a horn and blew it, an awful thing that shook Lu's brain. The creatures on his shoulders began to move like ants, working at the leather eye patch on his face. Seeing the coming chariots, Balor struck out against them first. With a kick, most went high, flying in the air, and another kick deterred most of the rest from going forward. Arrows and spears failed against Balor's thick skin. An able warrior, he turned quickly and spun, using his cleaver of a blade to cut two whole chariots in half with a single blow. The three remaining fled to rejoin the fearful charge behind them. Cowards and fools! Come, Morrigan. Come, god of war. Taste death and weep at your own demise. Nemain came off of her horse, flying as she screamed, and threw her spear which pierced Balor's shoulder. He seemed not to notice, and smiling, he slashed his blade, cutting her in half at the waist. Nemain, a sister and member of the divine Morrigan, fell to the ground as plain as a ragdoll. Traitorous grandfather, my father wept when you left us. I shall do no such pitiable an action as I do what my father could not when you became Nemet. Net too threw his spear, and off of his horse took a spear off of a dead charioteer and threw it. 
both pierced Balor's bloated belly, but Balor's giant foot caught net, sending him flying almost to Lou. He fell, his head cracked upon a stone, open for all the world to see and leaking. Only Nuada stood against him now. Nuada reared back, not waiting for any taunts, and threw the spear of Asal. Ybar! The spear flew, and like a missile went straight for Balor's eye. The giants batted the spear away, but it kept coming, again and again it kept coming. Each time the spear seemed to hold its own, sending the sword back with a twang of equal strength. Balor grew frustrated as the creatures on his shoulders clawed away at the first of the eye patches, falling by the wayside. The earth around Lou grew warmer, and near him, a fern began to turn brown, rotting. Lou felt his lungs growing harsher, as if needles were within him. Already the creatures on Balor's shoulders were cutting away at the second, and as it fell, the grass began to grow brown, not malnourished for as before and yellowed by winter, but brown, as if burned. A third eye patch fell away, and nearby a leafless yew tree began to smoke. Lou rose, realizing he was bleeding from the crash, and struggled as two Fomorians noticed him. Drawing Fragarak, he realized he could not yet join the battle. He could only defend himself, if that. Maltna appeared with a spear, and stabbed both in the chest, one after the other in swift motion. Not yet, Lou. Watch the king. I shall watch Indek and Agma while I defend you. Lou saw Nuada drawing his blade, a thing almost of pure light in his left hand, and the king set to work, chopping at Balor's massive angles, hoping to cut his tendon in the back. Each blow gave Balor a reason to scream, and after the fourth chop, he missed the spear's assault, which sailed into his cheek, ripping off a fair portion of skin and bone. Balor roared, shaking the battlefield as thunder above rolled and rain turned mud red with blood. The spear went wide, circling back around. Balor reached his hand down and took Nuada, crushing his arms. The king struggled but screamed. His bones were breaking. Such a small thing, Nuada. How long have I waited for this moment? Children of Danu, behold! Your mighty king reduced to a rat in my hands. Placing two fingers at both the front and back of Nuada's neck, Balor gave but the slightest squeeze, and Nuada's head popped off. Balor bathed himself in the blood of the King of the Tuatha Dé and laughed. The fighting had virtually stopped everywhere, watching the cruelty unfold. The crumbled remains of Nawada's body fell, and with it, this broken sword, shedding no more light. Bent, it landed with a clank, treasure broken. The Spear of Assal, flying towards Balor from behind like a comet, flickered and then fell flat landing behind the Fomorian giant. Your king has fallen! Your giant has fallen! Now give me my grandson, the one they call Luke, and we may yet spare you all. The fourth eye patch fell off then, and the yew tree near Lu began to burn then in a hole on its side. Lu held out his arm, calling on the spear of us all. He could feel it, could feel it coming to him, but weakly. Athabar! 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 
The spear did not move. It would not come to him. Nawada had doomed them all. It would not answer to him. No! came a voice. A firm, flaming voice of Bridget. Sword raised and aimed at Balor, she cried out. We will die to the last before we become your slaves again. Balor hooted and howled. Then let your flame be extinguished as your son's was, queen. The battle began resuming. The Twathidi Danan disheartened but still fighting. Lou looked around, spying the Dagda fending off the Fomorians but Alatha and Brez gone. The Dagda was on the ground, covered in ropes. Bav was mortally wounded, her stomach exposed from a wound there, but she drove her spear into the chest of the Fomorian seer, and then screaming, the sorceress exploded into blood. Bridget entered the Fomorian camp and began setting it afire in the rain. Nothing stood before her and her eight guards. It was Ogma that Lu was most concerned with. The warrior had been wounded, his knee cut through all the way, but still he stood. Indek too had been wounded, but was stronger, and coming at Ogma with a sword, roared as he drove it into Ogma's chest. Screaming, the champion of the children of Danu swung with the last of his strength and caught Indek in the head, knocking off the false crown and sending teeth and blood flying, his head broken as he fell to the ground. The swing went wide, and Ogma fell to the ground as well, dead. Indek was dead before he hit the ground. The Gish is released. I may fight. The spear lit and flew to Lu. Balor saw him too, just as the sixth eye patch fell. Meltna, take a bow. Kill the creature on Balor's shoulders. I have a plan. He walked to Inbar, the horse bloodied but alive, and soothed her before mounting the horse bareback. Taking his slingshot in one hand and putting rocks within it, Lou began firing with Meltna at the creatures on Balor's shoulders, hitting each in the head until only two remained. Simultaneously, he rode Inbar around Balor as the giant taunted him. Grandson, you have your father's black locks, but your mother's looks, or so Elatha tells me. A shame that she was my daughter and you my grandson. Your life may have been different, I think. When the final eye patch falls, all of you will burn with a mere look. I do not think I will ever get to look at you before you are reduced to ash. A pity. I do so love killing family. I am counting on Balor. I avenge not just Nuwana. I avenge my mother. I avenge my father. I avenge every child of Danu, every Fearbolg, every Nemedian and Caesarian and Eru and her siblings this day. I free Ireland from your tyranny, and all I need is you to look at me. Valor had his back turned to the battle now, which had turned to the Fomorian's favor. Lightning flashed behind him. The two final creatures on Valor's shoulders cut and cut away at the sixth and seventh eye patches. When the sixth fell away, the tree behind Valor began to spark, nearly catching fire. Lou felt the heat too, felt his heart as he sweat in the rain. Meltna fired an arrow through the throat of one of the creatures on Valor's shoulder, leaving the last to cut both sides of the eye patch. It fell and fire began to burn, but Balor's eye was shut. Lift my eye that I may see my grandson. My final gift to him will be fire and death.
The creature took an arrow to the side of the head, but it seemed not to phase it. It crawled onto Balor's forehead and began to pull. Lou reared back and threw the Spear of Assault directly at Balor's head. Ebar. The spear caught fire, as much from its own projection as from the fire of Balor's eye. It sailed through the eye, through Balor's head, and back out. A light came with it, a light like fire. The spear turned and came back to Lou, but the fire from Balor's eye burned high into the sky. His head turned on his shoulders, turned to the battlefield. Chaos reigned. The fire tore through everything it came across, and soon Tuathi Dudanon forces fled in its wake. Tens of thousands of Fomorians caught fire and died in a quick trail to the sea. The land all around them was ash and mud, and Balor, the source of the fire, was going limp. Your mother's wit, boy. Balor fell long into the hill, his fire burning, until the ground beneath him exploded, consuming Balor and his evil eye once and for all. Smoke rose from where the evil eye had looked, whether inverted through Balor's broken head or where he had exploded. The trail to the sea marked a quick way for the Fomorian vessels and the longhouses that had been constructed there. With Indek and Balor dead, there was nothing to fight for. The Fomorians began fleeing to the sea in full retreat. Meltna! Meltna! We cannot allow them to escape! Get to a chariot! Rally our forces! I ride to the Dagda! Lou spurred Inbar onward, riding her hard to the giant, now free of his captivity. His wounds were plentiful, but driven by the well of Slan's magic, the Dagda rose, breaking the ropes that held him. The Dagda gasped. A more beautiful sight I had not beheld than Balor's death, save Bridget's fire. Where is Ogma? We have to get it back, Lou. Get what back? The Dagda strode, leaving behind his cauldron but carrying his club. They stole the harp. My harp brings the world to order. If they learn to utilize it, it is all for naught. Where is Ogma? Lou followed and passed the Dagda, leading him. Dead great-grandfather. Index slew him. No matter. They came upon Ogma's broken body, Index blade still inside his chest. The Dagda plucked it and threw it aside, before touching Ogma's head with the base of his massive club. Instantly, Ogma's eyes opened, and he screamed, standing and holding his own club. He turned, looking up at the Dagda. I... You brought me back. Beyond the well's failure to? The Dagda smiled. My son is a clever healer, but nothing but my club could bring you back. With its tip, it brings death. With its base, life. So long as I live. He, his smile faded. Brez has the harp, Ogma. We must retrieve it. He turned and trotted after the fleeing Fomorians. Have we won? Where is Balor, Lou? Lou filled him in and followed the Dagda, whose run was awkward, a funny thing to watch. As he came across crowds of Fomorians, still numbering in the tens of thousands, the Dagda swatted them like flies. A single swing could kill half a hundred. A second swing, a full hundred. The deeper into Fomorian flight the Dagda came, the greater his fury, and the bodies of the Fomorian went flying. Soon Madeir and Angus, bloodied, joined him, and Felinus the Hound came to Lou, his skin like metal protecting him. Bridget, too, moved through the Fomorian longhouses, burning them, until at last one remained. Lou inferred, though Bridget did not fully know. Brez was hiding in that one.
The Dagda, too, inferred that. With his club, he knocked away the front wall of the final longhouse of the Fomorian camp, and there within were a dozen men, Ilatha and Brez holding the golden harp of the Dagda. The Dagda did not hesitate, knocking aside the dozen men. Son-in-law, so happy to see you. The battle has treated you well. You are as handsome as ever. Ilatha, trembling, stepped forward. Behind Lou, Mountna joined them, watching with terrified interest. We have your harp, Dagda. We shall break it unless you treat with us. The Dagda's grin grew like a hungry cat before a very fat rat. I don't think I will. He brought the club down upon Ilatha, and when he lifted it, there was only pulp. Brez fell to his knees, dropping the harp. Spare me. Please, Dagda. Lou, Ogma, spare me! The Dagda stepped forward, but it was Lou who stepped between the giant and the former king. No, great-grandfather, I want him to beg. Let us hear what he has to say. Brez did as he was bade. My gift is the gift of bounty. Cows give more milk than we could possibly drink. With me as a prisoner, again, we can have the bounty of milk. Lou laughed. We... No, Fomorian, exile that you are, you have nothing. He considered. The dagger would crush him mercilessly, as much for himself as for his daughter's honor. Ogma, too, would crush Brez. Lou had no love for him. But who was the proper judge? Brez was a Tawathidi Danan, after all. Meltna, you are unbiased in this matter, save that you were Brez's former subject. Shall we spare Brez, that he may give constant milk? No, said the druid without a moment's thought. He has no power over the milk of any cow any longer. The Fomorian menace is broken. Cows will give milk freely and grow naturally now. Then we have no reason to spare him, do we? Brez wept openly. Lou saw from the lines on his face that he had been crying. For the loss of Ruidin, Lou guessed. He forgot as much as Ruidin had been poisoned against the Tuathidi Danan by his grandfather Elatha, he was still Brez and Bridget's son. Brez had lost a child. That did little to abate the rage in Lou, in any of them. What can save you, Brez? What do you offer us? I can give you a harvest every quarter of the year. The grain will grow for each season, and you will harvest it with bounty. Lou looked to Meltna, who shook his head. So much harvesting we will ruin the soil. The soil needs time to recover from each harvest, and so many harvests will go against the order of the seasons. Spring for sowing the earth, summer for growth, autumn for harvest, and bitter winter for consumption. Lou nodded. A wise choice. That does not save you. He is biased! His family has suffered at my hand. They all have. Lou, you alone can save me. You alone do not want me dead. Lou laughed. Why would I want you alive, Brez McElothan? Your father is dead. Your son is traitor and dead. You made all of us suffer, myself included. I have no love for you. But I know what will save you. And what is that? Anything, son of Kian? Lou smiled. Under your rule, we never learned to farm. We cannot sow the earth or harvest in autumn. We do not know how. So you will teach us, for you were taught and you know. Give your word that you will teach each and every one of us to reap what we sow. My word, my good word that I will not break, in my son's memory, on my honor, 
Lou kicked Braz in the stomach and turned, walking away. You've no honor at all, but for this, you are spared. Meltna, have him tied up. He alone among the Fomorians will be spared. Exiting the longhouse, the Dagd and Ogma were not particularly happy with his outcome, but sensed the logic in it. Emerging into the burning camp, Bridget stood at the shore, looking at them. They have fled. The Fomorian menace yet lives, nephew. Lou saw that she was right. The beach was scattered with Fomorian bodies, but the fleet of ships, fourteen in total, was leaving the bay. Arrows volleyed down upon them, seeming to do little. They were out of range. Then we will never be free of them. We have failed, said Lou, his heart burning. He thought again of Gavita's death, of Nawada's head leaving his body, all for naught. They had failed. No. The voice was that of Makas, who stepped from the crowd. Pulling behind her on a cart, she carried the bodies of Bav and Nemain. Maka's eyes were red with blood, blood from crying fierce tears, for she was the last of the Morrigan. Turning, she touched both her sisters, and a flurry of feathers rose. Replacing Maka was the composite Morrigan, a creature of fierce determination and black fury. She rose, covered in blood and flying, before heading out to sea after the ships. And then she screamed. Each survivor of the battle covered their ears and watched in terror as the Morrigan scream ripped through each ship like an iceberg, ripping and tearing each ship and soul upon it until the bay ran red with blood and wood. No ship survived. No Fomorian survived. The threat of the Fomorians would never again darken the shores of Ireland. The battle was, at last, won. The Morrigan returned, landing on the shore. Coming again to the cart, she touched it and split. Bav and the maimed bodies returned to the cart, and Maka held onto the two handles, shaking in sorrow. Lou quickly moved to help her, and so too did Bridget, still burning. The old woman looked like an owl, first at Bridget, her fellow sovereign queen, and then to Lou. She smiled weakly at him. They have seen the victory we have here, son of Kian. On Donna she watched our battle, aided in it. The eighty thousand Fomorians have but one survivor. We have lost but half our forces. A bitter victory. But you have finally fulfilled part of your destiny. Part? said Lou. Then he realized what she meant, that the forces of Tirnanog were coming. He had to ask, though. Give us a prophecy. A vision of the future. Maka smiled before sighing. She leaned into Lou and Bridget's head and began to whisper, her eyes turning black. Peace is the prize won of valor as peace of paradise upon earth and everything is in its rightful place. We shall live as a cup full in the hand of a thirsty host, full of honey. Honeyed wine will flow in abundance and winter will be like mild summer, blessing us with warmth. Paradise is our reward, but even paradise can perish, son of Kian, for I have seen the end of all things, be it the world or our people. I alone shall see the end of our people, shall see the end of the world, and the two things resemble one another plainly, for all is folly. There shall come a time when cows give no milk, where spouses are untrue, where fighters lack valor and honor. 
We shall be as a kingdom without a king, a ship without a captain, a mast without wood or sail, and a sea without bounty. Old men will betray their wisdom, and judges and druids will be liars. I shall live to see this time and curse it, for we shall lose Ireland, but give it a final gift, the gift of ancestors, of precedent, of laws, and druids, and teachers, and poetry. The Sovereign Queen shall rule until the green falls off of Ireland, until every man is a traitor, every son his father's reaver. Father shall bed daughter, son shall bed mother, and the beds of brothers and sisters shall be soiled. I shall see this not once but twice, first when the Tuatha Dé Danann lose sense of justice, and second when the world cracks and falls away to ash. Still, I will rule over Ireland until there is no Ireland to rule. But because of this victory here today, there will ever be an Ireland. Children of Danu, the day is ours. I bid you farewell until the coming of the fairies. Maka fell to the ground, weak, but after a moment stood, pushing away Bridget and Lou's hands. Lifting the cart, she pulled her sisters away and made for the south, up the hill and away. Though the cries of the survivors were loud and joyous, Lou did not hear them. He only watched the dark old crone waddle over the horizon and away, feeling the sting of a different kind of defeat in her wake. They had won, but what exactly had they won? Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by Greg Wright. Additional writing and editing by Sidney Yeager, who is real mad that Bridget just didn't straight up murder Brez. I mean, come on, really? Music in Multitudes by Scott Buckley, who can be found at www.scottbuckley.com.au. Goddessy can be found on social media, where we drop all sorts of lore nuggets and have fun conversations about myth and legend and the scholarship surrounding it during the week. You can also support the show on Patreon. Links in the description and show notes. Goddessy releases on Monday. See you next week. We have five episodes left before the story of Lou is, at last, over. <laughs>